Father, tonight as we open up your word, I do pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you that, God, you raised up this guy called Paul. And Lord, you used him in mighty ways, just as he went around planting churches and then, and then God to pen some of these epistles and, and Holy Spirit, we know it's your word, but you use this man. And then you use the fellowships, this, this group of believers in Philippi that are, that are, Lord, strong in you and wanting to walk with you and wanting to follow you. And Paul's writing to encourage them. So I pray, Lord, I pray that as we read these words, it would, it would sink deep within us, that we would realize that your heart for that fellowship is still your heart for this fellowship. And God, you so desire to see us change this world to be a light in the midst of darkness. So God, we give you this time, we thank you for it, and pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we left off last time at the end of chapter one, Paul specifically told the people that they, they needed to uh, let their conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in this letter, he's kind of pushing this fellowship into the idea that, hey, you're Christians, you need to live like Christians, but the Christian life should be a life that exudes joy. It always bothers me when I see Christians that are always angry and mad and down, and it's like, wow, I don't know what God you have, but my God's a God that is joyful, that is glad, and that, that a God who is, is involved in this world. So as we think about that, listen, as we think about that, I was alive in the 60s. And in the 60s, we were trying to find this utopia. And we were trying to find it through drugs and uh, just really kind of mind-altering drugs, hanging out with that, and this thing called free love. That was the big thing. And we were gonna build this utopia that nobody has ever seen. That sort of fell apart, why? Because man's sinful. And man's not gonna resolve this. Only God can bring, quote, that utopia. But here's what I believe. I don't think it has to be when Jesus comes. Listen, when he comes to rule and reign for a thousand years, I get it. That's gonna be the best. But shouldn't we live like that now? Shouldn't he be ruling and reigning in our lives? Shouldn't we be following him and what he desires for us? So that's what, listen, that's what Paul's trying to communicate to these people that that are there in Philippi. And here's the cool thing, the church in Philippi wasn't struggling doctrinally. You know, usually Paul's letters are to correct some doctrine that's crept in or, or something they're even, quote, thinking about, it seems like. But this is more, listen, this is more like interpersonal stuff that's going on. We're gonna find out later on. I'm gonna keep all that to the end. But listen, he's telling them, hey, guys, your believers Let's live like believers. Let's let the world see what genuine Christianity, genuine believing in Jesus is all about. So look at verse one. He says, therefore, if there's any, oh, by the way, the therefore, right? The therefore is coming from 27 uh, through uh, 29 through 30. If you go back, you can go back and read that if you want. Not while I'm talking, but later on. But listen, he talked about living this life, right? Worthy of the gospel so that you won't be ashamed and he says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, 
If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of, being of one accord and of one mind. Now listen, as he lays that out, there's some interesting things that he brings up. And Paul is trying to get them to realize and us to realize the value there is in this thing we call being born again. We were not saved, born again, simply to get to heaven. Listen, if, if we're saved only to get to heaven, I think he would take us to heaven right away because we can mess up along the journey, right? I'm not saying we can lose our salvation, but it can, hey, it's not just to get to heaven. Listen, we were born again and left here so that we could represent Jesus Christ so the world could know how great it is to have a savior. So here's what he's saying in verse one, and we're gonna talk about him individually, but I like to sum it up like this. Verse one means this. If you're born again, these things should be true in your life. Now, as he says, if, he, if there isn't like a, I hope that's true, it's more like you could even interpret and, 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 and interpret the words or translate the words since there's consolation in Christ, since there's comfort in love. So listen, he's kind of asking a rhetorical question. Hey, if, listen, if there's any consolation in Christ, that should affect how you're living with each other and how you're living as a church and how you're living in the world. So what does he mean by that? Listen, what does he mean? First of all, he says, if there's any consolation in Christ, and listen, the word could actually, actually comes from the word paraclesis, which is that one coming alongside, the one who's there to help and to bring you along to encourage you. Here's what he's saying. Do you have any encouragement being in Christ? Think about that for your own life. Do you have encouragement being in Christ? I do. Like, I'm really glad I'm in Christ. I look at the world, and I think, man, it is messed up. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And then I look at where I was outside of Christ and where I would be without him, and it's a nightmare. And so do you hear what he's saying? Hey, do you personally, do you think about in your walk day by day, in your interaction with others, in your being part of a fellowship, he says, do you have any encouragement from being in Christ? I think that's important we just stop and think about that because surely it should affect how we live, shouldn't it? It should affect how we interact with each other. So he starts with that first and foremost. And hey, if you're not born again, you're not in Christ, so you kind of don't even understand what I'm talking about. And Prayerfully, you'll get born again tonight, and then you can go back and reread this, and it'll make a little more sense. But listen to what he's saying. He says, hey, if there's any consolation or any encouragement in Christ, and then I love this, if there's any comfort in love. Oh, what's he talking about? He's not talking about when you're in love, love. He's talking about agape love. Do you have any comfort in your life because of the love of Christ for you? Wow. Do you ever wake, do you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror sometimes and go, I cannot believe Jesus loves me. He loves me. How about when you've sinned? When you've sinned and you confess your sin 
and you run into his arms and you tell him you're sorry. You're sorry that you offended him. You're sorry that, that you didn't take his blood serious. You're sorry that you weren't, weren't serious about your salvation. Do you know what he does, man? He just loves you more, doesn't he? He goes, listen, man. He goes, do you have, first of all, that encouragement? Are you kind of getting where Paul's going? Are you getting a little bit excited? Are you kind of wanting to be part of what he's talking about? So if you have any encouragement from being in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, listen, these things should be impacting our lives. They should be the things that motivate us, why we get up in the morning, why we do what we do. And he says then, then listen, and, and he kind of, I think it's like three things he brings up, this last thing, and then we'll talk about the, the fourth thing, but he says, and if any fellowship in the spirit, most of us understand fellowship, right? Fellowship's not eating food. Most Christians relate fellowship to eating, right? Let's fellowship together. And I think that's a good part. I think it's good to share food. But fellowship is uniting together. When we come to the Lord's table, that's called fellowship. Communion, we call it. The originally, it was called koinonia. It's fellowship. It's coming together. And that's what he's calling this here. So listen, man. Is there any, listen, is there any union with the Spirit do you recognize the Spirit guiding and directing you? Do you rejoice when the Holy Spirit has you do something and you are about to do the wrong thing or the opposite and the Holy Spirit goes, no, 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 no. And he kind of gets a hold of you and you're led by the Spirit. Are you excited when, when all of a sudden you're going and the Spirit uses you in some situation? And yes, do you hear what he's saying here? So here's what he's saying again. With these three things, here's what he's saying. Is there anything in your life that has changed because you're born again by the Spirit of God? Is that a reality or not? And I think he's kind of like getting this church to think about it. Again, walk worthy of, or let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, so if any of that, and then, listen, I think if there's encouragement from Christ, being in Christ, if there's comfort from love, if there's fellowship of the Spirit, then I think, listen, I think the last one, if any affection and mercy, I think that one is a fruit of the first three, right? If you really recognize who you are in Christ, if you really understand his love for you, if you really are communing, are, are hanging out, letting the Spirit guide and direct you, then wouldn't you naturally from that, wouldn't you naturally begin to be a person who has affection and mercy for others? Are you ever blown away the way God uses you in the lives of other people? Are you ever blown away when somebody that might be a complete stranger, all of a sudden you have a connection with because of being born again and you have that affection for them, not, not a gross thing, affection for them and you wanna have mercy and you're that, listen to what he's saying, man. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. If those are true, listen, and they should be true in every Christian's life. He's not listing an anomaly. He's not saying, you know, there's some Christians that have this and some that don't. You know, that's what bothers me with some of the movements in, in churches where, you know, you have to do A, B, or C to be a real Christian. Verse one is anybody who's born again. It's not some super saint. It's not for special people. It's not for people who are in a special place. 
It's for every single believer. This should be true in all of our lives. So since, listen, since those things are true, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort in love, since there is fellowship with the Spirit, and since there is, all of that brings about affection and mercy, then here's what Paul says. Make my joy Uh, or fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Here's what he's saying. If that is true, then fulfill my joy. Paul's already talked about being joyful. He says, man, I could be so much more joyful if I really knew you guys would be together and like-minded. Now listen, like-minded, he's talking about unity. We'll get into that a little bit more. But listen, there's a huge difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity is external and makes everything look the same, right? I got drafted. When I got drafted, we all went and got the same haircut, we all got the same clothes, the same shoes, and we all looked almost alike. Why? Because the government was trying to bring about uniformity. The Holy Spirit brings about unity. That comes from within not from without. And that's a problem, listen, that's a problem I have with a lot of churches. They try, they try and get this unity by making regulations, by, by printing it out. Here's what we stand for. Here's who we are. Here's what we do. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about if you're born again, you need to have this same, you need to have this like-mindedness. What does like-mindedness look like? Well, I, you know, I, here's what I know it doesn't look like. Number one, it doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that we are all gonna think the same thing. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. Aren't you glad that we don't have to agree on everything? I am. I've mentioned before, Robert Furrow and I are close friends. Close friends for years. And every once in a while, we get into some long discussions about certain theological topics. He might be on one side, I might be on the other side. We agree on a lot. But there's things we definitely, we just had a discussion like three weeks ago. He keeps bringing it up, same thing. He'll bring it up over and over to me and I go, dude, you're wrong. You will find out in heaven that I am right. And he goes, you know, I don't mind discussing it with you, but other people, listen, other people get really mad at him. I just tell him he's wrong. There's no sense in getting mad. But it's okay, listen, that's all right. That's not, like-mindedness means, listen, means that we are centered on the word of God and we are dedicated to fulfilling the word of God in our lives. That's like-mindedness. That's what he's talking about. Again, not that we all are thinking the same thing, not that we all have to be exactly alike. He says, listen, we have this, we have this word-centered worldview and we should have that. Now, it's sad, creeping into church, There's other centeredness going on that throws you off center and you're gonna get off kilter and you're gonna get messed up. We need to be word-centered. We need to be centered on Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So listen, that's what he's talking about when he's saying like-minded. And then I love this. He says, listen, like-minded, having the same love. He's talking about that agape love again. We need to have this like-mindedness, word-centeredness, and we need to exude and be people who we have some unconditional love going on. We don't need to be people who base our loving another person, caring and showing affection and mercy. We don't need to base that on them. We need to be people who, I'm just gonna do it. 
Do you know how freeing that is? Hey, you don't have to judge them. You don't have to figure out if they're right or wrong. You don't have to get into this thing. He's just there. And he says, listen, we all have that same love. That love comes from the Holy Spirit working in our lives and changing us. And then we are, are, we are all gonna get in a car and drive away, right? In verse two, it says, being of one accord. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Bad joke, I know, I know. But I couldn't resist. Someone just now got it. <laughs> when he talks about that, listen to what he's talking about. He's not talking about a Honda. Listen to what he's talking about. Here he's saying, you and I need to be people who were word-centered, were people who were focused on love because we have the love of Christ in us and with that, we have one purpose in mind. What is our purpose? Why do we exist? Why does Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista, why do we even exist? We exist for one reason, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, to share the gospel with the world. That's why we exist. We are here to let the world know there's something bigger than them, greater than them, and there's someone that they can trust. And we need to be people who are not ashamed to let people know there's someone you can trust, and you can trust with everything you have. That's being of one accord. Listen, we have this drive. Here's what we want to do. We don't, listen, I, I, I never try to promote this church. I want to promote Jesus Christ. It's not about promoting our fellowship. Now, do I think this is the best church in town? Absolutely. That's why I come here. But listen carefully. When I'm out in the world, I don't, I don't talk about our church. I talk about Jesus. People may ask me. Now, I do have that part of me. Just the other day, someone said, hey, I listen to you every morning. And I said, well, that's good. I hope, you know, I hope you're blessed. Actually, his name was Jesus, Jesus. So I called someone and I said, Jesus listens to me every morning. That's amazing. Sorry. So Jesus does. But what a blessing to hear that. And, and here's the thing. He didn't even come to our church. He said, yeah, I visited a few times, but I'm going to a different church. I said, that's great. You know, I pray that you're being ministered to, that you're growing and that God is reaching your heart. Because here's my goal. I want people to know Jesus. I want them to fall in love with him. That's being of one accord. Oh, and then one more thing. Listen, he says, he says being of one accord and of one mind. Again, that same goal, that one accord, one mind. We have this goal that's pushing us and, and just, just driving us to go forward. So listen, this is what he laid out. Verses one and two, verse one. Here's four things that should make verse two happen in your life. Are you tracking? These four things, if they're true, if you're really born again, and those four things are true, then verse two should just be the outcome of that. You shouldn't be striving for that. You shouldn't be straining for that. That's just what happens. You know, you guys have heard me say many times, like your, your trees, your fruit trees, they don't like straining. You're gonna get a peach out. 
It just happens, right? Why? Because they're peach trees. Christians should be bearing fruit as Christians. It shouldn't be a stress and a strain and something we do. But here's the sad thing. We're born again. We're saved. We're going to heaven. We all, I believe, generally care about people. I believe we all want to see people get saved. But we still have this flesh, this one part of us that like just, that's what, you know, that's what I so look forward to heaven. You know, when we go to heaven, we're not going to sin anymore. When we go to heaven, we're not going to blow it. We're not going to do those things. So listen, man, Paul lays that out. And he goes, this should be true. And then he kind of gives us some caution. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Hmm. I challenge you to read your Bible and check out how many times that part of life, that characteristic, that attribute is brought up. Why is it brought up so many times? Pride and selfish ambition and selfishness. Why is it brought up on not just the New Testament, the Old Testament? Have you read Proverbs lately? If you're doing the daily Bible reading, you have. Why is that brought up over and over and over and over? You know why? Because we're selfish people. A lot of us are going, no. And you know what? And we're pretty narcissistic too. I'm always on my mind. Right? I mean, come on. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that bothers me most when people go, well, not me. I'm going, you're the worst. We're that way. The Bible wouldn't bring it up over and over if we're not. Paul wouldn't have brought it here, up here if it was not something that was prevalent in that church. And you can read chapter four to find out how really it was happening. Not right now, later. But listen what he's saying, man. He's saying, listen, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Here's what that tells me. Everything I do could get tainted by selfish ambition or conceit. Everything I do for the Lord, I gotta be careful. I gotta judge myself. I gotta look at myself. I remember when, you know, when I was at Bible college, I think it was my second semester that I was at Bible college. And, you know, here's the thing. Whether you go to Bible college or a university that you know, you're involved in, in scripture, you're involved in teaching, you start getting pretty arrogant. And you start thinking you're all that. You start thinking, you know, I don't know why the world waited so long for me. And kind of, that kind of comes in. There's a little bit of that conceit going on. And I remember I was part of a church in Bisbee. And I had asked the pastor, we're part of a a denominational church, and I'd asked the pastor before I went to Bible college, because I was concerned it was a little small church, there was like maybe, maybe 25, 30 of us, and I remember asking the pastor, hey, I'm thinking about going to Bible college, are you gonna stay for a while? Because it was a very liberal denomination, and he was actually saved, which was unusual for that denomination and, and having a saved pastor. And we knew the odds of getting another one with that denomination are slim to none and slim just died. So we were probably pretty sure. So I remember asking him, are you gonna stay for a while? I'll make a decision to go to school if you're gonna stay for a while. And he said, yeah, I'm gonna stay. My second semester, he decided to move. 
And I called him and I said, you lied to me. And he goes, well, kind of. And he says, because I knew you wouldn't go if you knew what I was thinking of doing. And you needed to go to Bible college. And so he was leaving. So I went into the director of the Bible college. I went into his office and I sat down. I go, hey, Rich, I got to quit Bible college. I said, I have to quit. I have to go back. I, you know, our pastor's leaving and this is happening. And like I'm laying it all out. And I'm so proud of myself because I'm such a caring, loving person with that fellowship. And I'll never forget what he did, man. I laid it all out. And he looked me right in the eyes and said, oh, you're that important. I thought I was, but since you put it that way, maybe not. I thank God for him being so honest with me and calling me out for doing something, listen, from selfish ambition and vain conceit. And you know what, man, that like flipped a switch in me and it just flipped in me and I went, oh, it's not about me, it's about the Lord. And I have to be careful. And so there's a little bit of that in all of us. Hey, I've had people sit in my office tell me how important they are to our fellowship. And I thank them. I, want, I wish I could be like Rich and go, oh, you're really that important. But I, I just thank them. I just say, thank you, man. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad because we need you, obviously. Listen to what he's saying. And here's, here's the thing, man. If you're involved in ministry anywhere in any aspect, I don't care what it is, check your heart. Check your heart. Because here's, what, here's the thing, man. If that is creeping in, it is going to fester and grow and it is going to get you. You know, I read this every once in a while. I have this, I have this on my pulpit and and I read it when I come up here, but I read it to you guys every once in a while. This is Spurgeon. Some of you guys know this one, right? Far better for a man that he had never been born than that he should degrade a pulpit into a showbox to exhibit himself. Woo! Those are some pretty powerful words, huh? Good things to remember. And we all need to remember, listen, we're all prone to letting that creep in. So here's what he says, man. He's telling them, here's all of this truth. You need to be like-minded people. You need to have the same love. You need to be uh, in, in of one accord, one mind, and let nothing, nothing, you know what nothing means? Nothing, absolutely nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain con- or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Oh. You know, that wasn't really popular in the Greek culture. It's called humility. Like the Greeks hated that. The Greeks despised that. Hey, if you were going around being a humble person, man, you were despised by that culture and just shunned and, and pushed aside. So think about, think about writing something in the midst of that culture and writing the very thing that they shunned. But who exampled that for us? Who was the one that, that really gave us that, that full-on example of being lowliness of mind and, and let each esteem others better than himself? Do you ever look at somebody else that even may be doing something that you're doing and look at them and think, man, I wish I could do it like them. They do it so well. Like I listen to people teach a Bible and I think, man, they are really good. 
wish I could do it like them. And then sometimes you try and steal their stuff. Here's what I found. When you steal their stuff, it never comes off as good from you as it did from them. Like they're better at being them than you are at being them. But do you have that? You have that admiration for other people that are in the same arena as you are because I think that's important. You need to esteem others and then you need to look at, look at just people in general. I was, I was at Target the other day picking up some meds for my wife and, and uh, I walked up and, and there was a, a lady that had a basket and she was kind of cattywampus. She was not not where she was supposed to be according to my theology of lines in Target. And she's kind of over here, and I almost stepped in front of her, and whatever the spirit said, no, just step back here, because she wasn't doing it right. So I stepped back, and I stood to remember I'm smiling, because I'm in stores now, right? (laughs) And then, waiting for the self-serve, and then it got clear, and she says, go ahead of me. And I go, no, I can't go ahead of you. It's all right, go ahead. No, 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 you only have a couple things. I go, okay, thank you. And I went ahead, and then she came up behind me and says, I go to your nine o'clock service. I'm so glad I didn't cut her off, man. I came so close. I came so close to cutting her off. You see, you have to esteem others better than yourself. It's gonna bust you, right? Now listen, I have more opportunity of getting busted than other people. And, but do you understand what he's saying? We need to be people that we don't think we're all that, and we need to have that lowliness of mind, that humility. I love what one great person, I wish that I came up with this, Humility is not thinking of others higher than you. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Remove yourself from that. And that's what he's talking about. Hey, have that lowliness of mind. Don't think you're all that. Don't think you deserve whatever. Have you ever heard the story? I read a story this week about, about a church. I think this was years ago. And they had a major split. They were having a big split in their church and they were trying to say who was gonna get the land the A team or the B team or whatever and how all of that was gonna work about, they went to court and the judge goes, dude, I am not getting involved in this. Take it to your denomination. They took it to the denomination and then I think the A team got it and then people started investigating. I guess the church started investigating. You know what started the whole fight? This is crazy. An elder did not get the same portion of ham as one of the young people. That's how petty we can get. Now listen, we go, oh, come on. How petty are you? Hmm? Think about what you said. Think about things that even maybe you haven't said it. Think about things that go on in your head and you might think it, man, listen to what he's saying. We need to be people who, hey, we're lowly minded and we're gonna put others above us. We're gonna think about others. And then he says this, listen, in verse four, let each of you Look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Listen, he's not saying, he's not saying looking out for ourselves is necessarily bad. He's saying that we need to be people who we're worried and concerned about the interest of others. We're at that place where we want to make sure that other people are taken care of. We want to be there lifting them up. I believe my job in this church is to lift everybody up as high as they can go with Jesus. I want them to surpass even what I am. Listen, if I, if I don't lift people up 
and I just try and bring them on a journey with me, they're only going to go as high as me. And that's not very high. I want people to get involved. I want people to go high. And he says, listen, man, we need to be those kind of people. Listen to what Timothy wrote in, in chapter 5. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially of the household, of his household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. Oh, oh. You see, Paul here is not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves. But he's saying we should take care of ourselves and take care of others as though they were part of us. And we need to be serving others, not at the expense of our own families and stuff, but alongside with that. If there's any encouragement from being in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, those things should be true in our lives, right? Then we should have affection and mercy, and we should be making, listen, I don't think it's just making Paul's joy complete. I think we're bringing joy to God as we exhibit Christ-like nature as we're living in this world and moving in this world. So he's telling you and I, listen, we have this opportunity to look out not only for our interests, but for the interest of others. And when he says it, listen, he says it in a way that not just the people, listen, it's not just the people you know. It might be the people you don't know. It's not just the people you like. It might even be the people you don't like. Isn't that always fun to wash the feet of somebody you don't like? And I'm not talking about literal foot washing. I'm talking about doing something kind for them. Like letting a lady who doesn't know how to get in line, right, go first. You just do things like that. And listen, listen, I wrote this thing out because I think this is big. There's a huge difference between a helper and a servant. And Jesus says, what? You're servants. Anybody who wants to be great in the kingdom of God must be a servant of all. A helper, I wrote this down, a helper helps others when it's convenient. A servant serves when it's inconvenient, when it's like the worst possible time. Like that lady let me go ahead of her. She was a servant, right? And that's, or how about this one? A helper helps when they can be seen. A servant serves when nobody's looking. A helper helps people that he or she likes. A servant serves even people he or she dislikes. A helper helps when he or she enjoys the work. A servant serves when he or she doesn't even like what's going on. Have you ever been in a position in church and not just, not just this church family, but in your Jesus relationship where you did something you absolutely despised, but you did it anyway? I think of my Bible college days again. The one thing I hate in life is painting. I hate to paint. When we built our last house, I had them like stucco the eaves so there's no wood. I don't want to paint. I hate to paint. 
I went to the Bible college, and when I went to the Bible college, there was a program called Servanthood. We called it Slavehood, but it was Servanthood. And so you had to serve at the campus. You had to do different things on campus, which helped the tuition. I, I, it was a great thing because it was, a, it was a, a conference center. So you kind of helped out, kept the conference center running as students, and you got a deal on your tuition. So you got, and you got assigned. The first day or first week you're there, you get in and they assign you different positions. And I'm thinking, I will do anything but paint. What did I get put on? Painting. Oh, oh, oh. I go, okay, I'm gonna do my best, man. I'm gonna paint the best I can. I painted for, I think, four weeks. I hated it. But never complained. Washed my brushes and rollers. And then one of the guys came and he said, I heard you're an electrician. And I go, yeah. And he goes, you need to quit painting and get to work in these rooms and do some electric. Yes, yes. The Lord rewards that servanthood. Yes, yes. You see, I believe, listen, I believe we should be people who we don't care. We don't care what the job is as long as we're serving Jesus. And we shouldn't look for position. We should look for opportunities to serve. I hear some people say, well, you know, I, I will only do this and that. You know, for years, probably for two years, all I did was the grunt work and the cleanup work for showing a Jesus movie in Mexico. That's all I did. I laid things out, and I would lay out cables and do stuff, and yet I felt as important part of that ministry as the people who shared. Why? because I was there, I was involved. I was doing exactly what God had called me to do. I remember they were praying for someone to help them, the team, and, and they were at the house, and what do we have going on? <laughs> no, it's not angels. We've gone through this before. Ay, ay, ay. We've gone through this before. We have pigeon. We have pigeons that like camped out back there. We're slowly eliminating them. In Jesus' name. I think we gotta pray. <laughs> Why? Why, Lord? But we need to be people. Listen, we need to be people, and we need to be willing. When that couple came and we were part of a home group, and they said, hey, pray that God would bring somebody to help us do this Jesus film. It's dangerous to pray that way, because I prayed and God brought me. So listen carefully. Being a servant is, happens in many different ways. I believe what I'm doing right now is being a servant, because this is my gift. This is my service to the church. Your servanthood might look different than mine, but do it with all that you have. Doesn't matter what it looks like, serve with all you have. So here's what Paul's saying. Since you guys are born again, let's live like we're born again. Let's be people who exhibit to the world, here's what born again looks like. It's not just a phrase, it's not just something cute we say, this is what it looks like, and we should make the world jealous. We should make the world want what we got. And that's by living for him. Let's stand up and pray.
Father, we thank you. We thank you for the challenge in your word. And, and Lord, I just, think about, I just think about what was written here and how Paul's concerned about that fellowship, not with their theology, Lord, really not even with their maturity, but he's concerned about little things that creep in that are so easy, arrogance, conceit, thinking that we're the answer, thinking that others can't do what we do, and how, how simply that just creeps in. And then we get to a place where, well, they better appreciate me. Last I checked, servants weren't appreciated. They were just there to serve. And so I pray, God, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Make us servants of Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts, work in our lives. Be glorified in what we do and what we say. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus, maybe somebody invited you, maybe somebody brought you and you've never given your life to Jesus, tonight is the night. Right now is the time to do that. The Bible says if you call on his name, you will be saved. And what is meant by that is, listen, not just saying, hey, Jesus, but what's meant by that is that you need to come to the place where you realize you're a sinner. You're sorry for your sin. You're sorry that you've offended a holy God. And standing in that place, you realize all you deserve from God is his judgment. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came and he took that judgment upon himself. And now he offers you freedom from that. All you gotta do is take it. Let Jesus know that tonight you're ready. You're ready to be born again. So if you wanna do that, I'm gonna say a prayer. You can say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter. What matters is your heart needs to be sincere. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer with us right where you're at. If you're backslidden, man, come home. Come back to Jesus tonight. Make this a turning point for your life in Christ. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sin against you, God. And tonight I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you, come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.